Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Um, okay, we're going to chapter 11 of Genesis. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in China and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. So here we see technological advances. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from all over the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the the face of the whole earth. So um, let's make a couple of observations here. Let's talk about this passage. It seems very odd, very confusing, I think, to us. Like, why would God want them not to do anything that they wanted to do? Well, let's not forget that God's got the history of a few generations past, as we just read only last week about the chaos that had been wrought on the earth and uh, what had happened originally in the garden as well. And so, but, but there's so much more going on than just that. You see, the people wanted to build a monument to themselves. It says that they were trying to reach God, but actually they were trying to do what it took for them themselves to reach God. And here's the thing, man will always build monuments to themselves, won't they? Uh, Can you think of a building with someone's name on it? Um, There's many of them. And, uh, and, and they're, they're to give glory to the person that built them. Here's the thing about towers, they're very ordered. They're very, um, very structured they're very, you know, they're finished. Once they're done, they're done. And, and, and then people can look around, pat themselves on the back and go, gee, didn't we do a good job there? But God made a garden at the start. And God is much more into the wild than he is into the structured. Now, I see a few of you like pulling flags out of your handbag, just like, are we, are we doing this? Are we doing this? Uh, <laughs> that's not exactly what I mean. There's, there's a place for structure and there's a place for order. But God is always okay with the organic and the free and the wild. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, is what the Scripture says. And so there's this um, awesome thing that God has set up. Yes, there's, there's um, trellises. There's, there's, I'm not a gardener. What are the things that you put vines on? Fences. <laughs> Pardon? It is a trellis. Oh, I thought for a second that might actually be the plant. Um, Okay, so a trellis uh, to put the plant on, to help it grow, to to put things in place. But God's okay with things spreading, with things not being um, all neat and tidy. Um, a, A while ago, when we did the rewilding series, we showed a clip from David Attenborough where he went to, David Attenborough drives me nuts. How is that man an atheist? He's seen more of the beauty of nature than anyone else in the world. Anyway, I digress. Um, So David Attenborough was um, in Chernobyl. And if you remember Chernobyl in the, was it the 80s or early 90s, whatever it was, it exploded, nuclear explosion. A city about the same size of Tamworth, just basically everyone left. And that place now... You should see it. it's incredible. It's got vines growing all over it. There's there's um, endangered species trotting through the city. Uh, you know, everything came back and, and, and overtook it. 
And, and I feel like that is what God's plan is, even for his church. You see, when the Spirit of God came uh, in the day of Pentecost, he was poured out and, and people were like, are these people drunk? There was this, this expression, this explosion, and people who never before were together, all of a sudden were together. And then we see, and this is nothing against any particular church, it was all done, I believe, oh, some of it could have been insidious, but but mostly done because they wanted to see God's word go forth, was that all of a sudden we put structures in, we put hierarchy in, we put patriarchy in, we put things in place that meant that we could very much control what was going on. And then we saw the abuse of religion. And and people would say, well, how can religion possibly be good? What about all the wars and everything that has started in the name of God? Well, it's not God. It's this kind of thinking of let us build a tower to ourselves. Let us have control uh, that's going on here. So um, that is the Tower of Babel. And and then this is the cool thing. The Lord came down to the city. So even though they thought, yeah, we'll reach God. We'll be able to get this done. God still had to condescend to come all the way down to this city to see the tower they're building. Nothing that we can do can ever compare to the majesty and the greatness and the goodness of God. So Lord, the Lord scattered them all over and, and, uh, and Babylon, the nation of Babylon, um, coming from that city of Babel, apparently was just absolutely epic. It, it was something to be seen to be believed, that you had to see to believe it, however that saying goes. And so then just um, finishing off there in this chapter... There's a whole lot of uh, genealogies, which I know you love it when we read that through, but we're not going to today. We're just going to go down to 27, verse 27. It says, this is the account of Terah's family line. We'll go to 26. After Terah had lived 70 years, he became the father of Abram. We need to remember that name for next week, Nahor and Haran. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Would have been very confusing, I, I believe, to be one of those children. Now, Sarai was childless because she was, not, uh, she was not able to conceive. That's an important detail for the coming weeks. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan, but when they came to Haran, they settled there. So um, we're setting up what's to come here, is that, that Haran was the place that they settled in. And the Midrash, which is the Jewish commentary on scriptures, has it that this man, Terah, was an idol maker. He used to make gods for um, the neighboring nations. Why is that important? Well, the Jewish tradition has it that when in the next chapter God calls Abraham out, or Abram as he's then called, calls him out, that Abram gets one of his dad's idols and, um, and puts it up on the shelf and gets an axe and chops all the other idols of his dad's. And when um, Terah comes in and sees all the idols just smashed everywhere, he says, Abram, what has happened here? And Abram says, well, it's easy. That, clearly that idol there has killed all the other idols and 
that idol's got it going on. And, and um, Terah says to him, don't be stupid, they're just blocks of wood. And then Abram says, why do you then worship them? I'm going to go and worship the God who speaks, the God who sees, and the God who hears. And away he goes. That's Jewish tradition. That's um, ancient Jewish tradition. It's not in the Bible, but it's a cool story. Um, so um, we'll finish there today, and we're going to look at what this applies and how this applies to our life now in just a moment. But we'll just take a few minutes to reflect on that. You might like to read through this chapter, chapter 11, or you might like to um, talk about your questions. Um, anything that occurred to you from this passage and if there's anything that you feel like you can apply going forward we'll just take a few minutes play some elevator music in the background and you can discuss or go on your phone and scroll it's up to you good I I love it when Pastor Bron does that front message the going deeper I feel a lot smarter when I listen to her preach and then when I think about um, like the sprouts then we're just asking, what did you get out of it? I'm trying to process it. I'm like, hang on, oh, I'm losing it. Oh, no, I don't know that it's sunk into my brain. And then I feel dumb because um, <laughs> it's so deep. Oh, <laughs> anyway, that's fine. That's fine. I'll go, I'll go off and, uh, and read more of, from Genesis 11. I wanted to pull one verse out of that and talk from that this morning for the next couple of minutes and that's Genesis 11:4 and it says come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves <clears throat> i feel like that is the verse that sums up that whole passage of the tower of babel now I want to pull out three practical things from that verse and this passage. And I'll get straight into the first one. The first one is God corrects our plans. Now, we know, because Pastor Bron told us, that they had evil motives to build that tower. It was for themselves. It was for their own glory. Yes, they wanted to build it to God, but they didn't want to build it for God. Yeah, so it's a lot different to a lot of the other amazing monuments around the world that are built for God, right? You think of Westminster Abbey in, uh, in the UK. You think of the Vatican in Rome. You think of, and I better read off my notes, Basilica della Sagrada Familia in Barcelona. Um <laughs> which uh, is just a phenomenally um, architecturally made church in itself for the glory of God, right? And these are the top, like, tourist destinations in those cities. And that's the legacy of the church, of Christendom, of um, the, the local Christians building something for the purpose of God and for the glory of God. Now, the people in Babel built it for themselves, right, out of pride. So it's a real shame because so much effort was put into that. But anything that we do for God or for ourselves can be flipped quite quickly um, from good or bad because of our motive, yeah? So, um, and it's a subtle flip from pride to praise. And that's, that's what can happen in our lives as well when we think about the towers that we build metaphorical towers, right? Towers of career, towers of family, towers of riches, towers of retirement plans, towers of 
um, your physical prowess or your beauty or whatever it might be that you want to do for yourself. You can flip it and turn it to God or you can flip it the other way and turn it for yourself and for your own glory. Yeah, and that can happen um, at any given time, at any given moment, just with the flip of the heart and the mind. Um, and that can be conscious or unconscious. But what I, what I like about this, um, this account of the Tower of Babel is that God previously, in the last chapter, wiped out all humanity because of evil. And then he started new again, and then these people have done something that isn't great, and God could have gone, oh, guys, not again. What are you doing? Like, has, haven't we, don't you remember the flood? Like, haven't your ancestors told you about the flood and what happened and why, and now you're doing this? Like, where is the, me- where is the messaging gone wrong? Is it Chinese whispers? What is it? What's going on? Um, but they, what God does is actually an act of mercy when you think about it, and he changes their tongue. So he changes their languages so that they can't communicate and work together um, anymore. So God altered their plans instead of really wiping them out, which he's on the record of doing. Um, what, what that is, is it's an act of mercy. And he can do that to any of our plans as well whether we do it for the right reasons, for the wrong reasons, whether we make a totally different plan to what his will is for our life, he can change that in an act of mercy. And that might be through a bad circumstance, that might be an investment going belly up, it might mean a job ending immediately, it might be anything. But when you look at some bad situations through hindsight, God actually orchestrates them as an act of mercy for us because he wants what's best for us. Now, he's actually wired us to build these metaphorical towers. He's actually wired us to want to build a career, to want to build an amazing family unit that um, we, uh, we bring into future generations. He's wanted us to, you know, have wealth. And I don't want to put too fine a point on that, but to have wealth to push his kingdom forward and to, and to um, give him glory. So, God, no, this is point number two. God wants his righteousness and love to be spread through the world. And that's why he scattered the people of Babel. He wanted, so, because in the Noah, 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 Noah covenant, I know, it's hard, yeah, it's, it's so hard. I thought, no, I'm going to give it a crack, I'm going to be better than Pastor Bron, say Noahic, and then, <laughs> anyway, anyway, um, we will, yeah, we'll have to practice that in front of the mirror sometime. Um, God commanded Noah to be fruitful and to multiply, Genesis 9-7, be fruitful and multiply, and he did. But in this account, in Genesis 11, the people are working together. They're not being fruitful and multiplying, going to the ends of the earth. And that's what God wanted for humanity. I want you all to be righteous. I want you all to um, have children and build the generations so that I can flood blessings through the generations so that the whole world can reflect heaven. That's God's plan for earth. That's part of the reason why he puts these covenants in place through time. And that didn't happen. So he changes tongues. 
in the Tower of Babel account so that people spread and then they spread their language through their offspring and create tribes and nations for God's glory. That doesn't happen as we continue our story of Genesis in the coming weeks. However, that was his plan for humanity. Um, So he commanded this through Noah's covenant, but it didn't happen. Righteousness can't be spread when we're doing prideful things. Righteousness can't be spread when we're doing prideful things because it is the end. righteousness and, and pride are enemies. Yeah? Pride is the antithesis of righteousness. Um, he, has, he wants us to do everything in his righteousness. I was, um, I was hanging out with my cousin yesterday. Um, he's a primary school teacher. He's 30. He's good at his job, Right? And um, he was telling me about how his work's going. And he's a Christian, Bible-believing Christian, born again, um, passionate about God, right? And he was telling me that about the leadership in his, church, in his school, sorry. Um, <clears throat> and he was saying that the leaders, the assistant principal, the principal, the business manager, all of that, they're teachers, but... Um, they weren't the best teachers in the classroom. They just had this leadership gifting and they were put into a position of leadership. And he was actually reading a leadership book um, uh, that day. So I was asking him about it and he has a gifting of leadership on his life, right? Um, our grandfather was a school principal, so it looks like God's setting him up for that. However, he said to me that he has no aspirations to work in the office as a principal. He just wants to work in the classroom. He loves it. He loves kids. He loves using his gifting of teaching and he's just, he's fantastic. Um, He said that he just doesn't want a leadership title in his career and I think that is exactly what God is looking for, for um, people to stand up into a leadership position and use, uh, use their position for his glory. He doesn't, he may know that. We didn't get a chance to uh, discuss that moving on, but um, I know that he will be a principal one day because of that. Yeah, he wants to be faithful with the little, he wants to spread the love of God, and God will honor that at some stage. He's not doing it for his own self. He's not doing it for his title. He's not doing it for, to build his CV. He's doing it for God. Yeah. Um, point number three that I want to take out of this account of the Tower of Babel. True honour is bestowed on those who don't seek it. Um, you would all will have heard of a, a guy called Holgrimer Pedersen. No, no, no one's heard of him. <laughs> You, you might have seen what he's famous for. Um, and if there's a picture on the slides, you may see this. So that's Archer, my boy. So that is the most famous monument in Reykjavik, Iceland. We were in Iceland last year. We went there on a, on a holiday. Um, Holgrimer Pettersson was an Icelandic minister who worked, who lived in the 17th century, so 1600s. Um, what he's famous for is writing 50 poems called the Passion Hymns. I'm not going to translate that into Icelandic. Um, there's no Icelandic people 
in the room here this morning. Nope. <laughs> um, no one's been to Iceland, apart from Lani. Lani's been. Anyone been to Iceland before? No? Yeah? Oh, wow. Cool. I've, I'd never met any, any Aussie who'd been to Iceland before Lani told us a couple of weeks ago, and now met too. That's pretty cool. Anyway, we were in Iceland for a couple of weeks last year. Um, we were living in the UK, and this is the most famous monument in Reykjavik. Reykjavik is on a, on a sea, I guess, like a sea inlet, a harbour, um, and there's a hill. And this is based, this, um, this church called Hallgrim Skurja. Um, it's got like five J's in the word, so I think I've, <laughs> I think I've pronounced it correctly, um, is basically Hallgrim's Church in Icelandic, uh, sorry, in English. So Hallgrimer was famous for writing these 50 poetic texts or, um, that presented the gospel. And it was in a way that contextualised it for the people of Iceland. Now, he, he was a travelling minister, so we'd walk, walk around and just preach the gospel. He, uh, he was literate, so he was able to write these poems down in a time where people, lay people, weren't literate at all. Literacy rates were um, 1%, 5%, 10%, whatever it might have been in Iceland in the day. Now, he was just a humble minister, walking around, preaching the gospel. But the whole culture of Iceland now is built on sagas. So saga is uh, their translation of story, and they love stories. And every Easter, across radio stations in homes, people um, chant and people recite these passion hymns as a dedication to God, or the religious people anyway. Now... This church was built over 45 years in the last century. It took 45 years to build that church and it is one of the most iconic churches in the world now. It is the number one tourist spot in, um, in Iceland and it stands at the, it's the highest point in Reykjavik in the capital and it just, like, it's a phenomenally designed church and that's a statue of Hallgrimmer Pedersen um, out the front there and that's Archer just just really grumpy because we told him to get in the photo. <laughs> anyway, so um, that's, that's, uh, that's it. But it stands out. It, um, what, what I love about the story is that Holgrimer never seeked any honour here. But the people of Iceland thought, what is it about our culture that we can... Um, put forward to the world and it's this this humble minister who preached the gospel and someone decided that we wanted to build a monument to be in the middle of Reykjavik in his name so that's our legacy that's where God has moved in Iceland and we want to build our culture around it we want to welcome people into our country and sh and point them to the legacy that Hall Grimmer had put on um, our whole community and our whole country, which is pretty cool. He is honoured because of the humble work that he did. Now, he didn't do it for that. He didn't ask for it. It wasn't required for the people to do that, but they have set up a church which is active today in the Lutheran denomination. Um, they have more than a 1,000 people go through every Sunday, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Anyway, Hebrews 13, 18 says, We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honourably in every way. 
in Colossians 3, 22, says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. What's your tower? What's the tower in your life? That might change from time to time. We have some people here who are seasoned. Um, that's a, another word for people who have lived a while. And I hope that that's polite. Um, but that's really cool because your towers might have changed through life. Yeah? And for someone in my 30s, I've had one or two towers. I'm sure that those towers will um, take my focus as my years go on. What I want to do is make sure that I'm doing it for the right reasons, to build a career, to serve God in church, to raise a family, to get a house and to use it for, for his glory, whatever else I can think of, set up a retirement plan, whatever it might be, I want to do it for God. I want to give uh, three points that I use for every big decision that I make to make sure that my heart's right. I'm going to buy a car, I want to make sure I do it for the right reasons. I want to buy a house, I want to marry a girl, um, I've, you know, I've decided on that. Um, <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> three, three questions I ask myself to make sure that my heart's right. How can I use this to glorify God? Yeah, you're walking through a house, you're going to buy it, you're going to rent it. How can I use this to glorify God? Um, you're thinking about what career you're going to take. Second question here, how can I use this to help people? Yeah, and the third question, what's my main motive here? Why am I doing this? Why do I want it? Why, why do I need it? How can God be moved? Uh, how can God move through my decision to pursue this as my tower? Um, and the Bible verse that I attach to this, Psalm 139, 23 to 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, the people of Babel, they could have built the first amazing monument to God um, if their hearts were in tune with God, but they didn't. They missed that opportunity. Their legacy could have been one that changed the course of history. The first real big monument to God. But it didn't happen. And that's really sad. It is really sad that they lost their way. Um, we, can, we can lose our way too when we're building the towers in our life. We, we need to pray over a few things to close. Um, and I don't know what your towers are. You know. I don't know what your towers will be. You won't know um, at this stage. We've got people, all walks of life, all ages, um, with opportunities, with requirements um, for the rest of their days. Big decisions, big moments in our lives that can change the course of our life and the generations after us if we don't get it right, if we don't get our motives right, if we don't check our hearts. And so I want to pray over this. It's a big prayer as we close up and I hand back to Pastor Brom. Um, but would you join with me? Yeah. Father, thank you so much that you want big things for us, that you trust Christians, your people, with big things, that you want to give that to them. We look at the two most powerful leaders in our country right now, New South Wales Premier, Prime Minister, guys that say they love you, guys that profess their faith, 
guys, that hopefully, and we pray for them, that they turn to you for wisdom as they use their position and power for the betterment of people in Australia and for your glory too. So we just pray a little side prayer for them this morning. But Lord, I just ask for everyone in this room this morning, seasoned Christians, new Christians, people who are um, seeking you with big decisions, with little decisions, but all are very pivotal. We ask for clean hearts. We ask for pure motives. We ask for clear decision-making. And we ask for you to move before people and with people as they navigate through the circumstances and the decisions and the issues that are present in their life and that will be present in years to come. We ask, Lord, that you'll condition us to always, always seek you in our big moments in life so that we can turn them into God moments where we build our towers for you, not for us, because they, they fall down. You change our plans. You, uh, you rearrange it all. So we ask, Lord, that we won't seek things for our own honour, but we'll do things for your honour. We ask this in your mighty name. Amen. Hey again. Thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued, and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.